0: This is the BBC.
1: This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK.
2: Across Northern
3: Ireland, on your radio and on BBC Sounds.
4: This is
5: the Stephen Stephen Nolan Show. Show. Good
4: morning. A whole range of issues, the Health Service and Robin Swan making a speech today. In, in, in which he's talking about a year of damage limitation given the the, the, the pools and, and the pressure on the health service. We'll discuss that today. Should free bus passes continue for pensioners? And at what age should you start to get your free bus pass? Very, very reactive um, on the programme today, as is everything we do, obviously. So have a listen and you can send us a message if you want on Twitter at Stephen Nolan or come back to the live show at nine every morning. And BBC Signs at whatever time tickles your fancy. Thank you.
5: The Stephen (laughs) Nolan Show.
4: Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. Today's Tuesday. Don't forget, Nolan live on BBC One tomorrow night at 10.40 and indeed uh, the iPlayer. But let's talk about today. In an hour's time, the Health Minister, Robin Swan, is expected to speak about significant budget pressures for the health service. He's going to be giving a speech at 10 o'clock. We'll carry it here uh, live on uh, the NOLAN show. They remember the message that we were getting from lots of these political parties, if only there was an executive. If only there was an executive, local ministers could be held accountable for the services we get. Now Robin Swan, he can't pull out a magic wand. He can't suddenly fix a problem that has been building for many, many years. But his party and most of the others wanted back in there so that they could show you what improvements they would make. So what are his messages going to be at 10 o'clock this morning? What type of trouble is our NHS in? How's he going to fix it? What message is he going to get? Is it going to be one of optimism or pessimism? Are we all going to have to lower our expectations this year in all uh, government departments, given the stress that we see on money and that finite budget? and the massive decisions that the executive has to make. We know that Minister Swan has warned about a potential one billion black hole for for next year in the health service alone. Now, that includes pay. If there's additional help comes in um, for pay, if some of that money uh, in, in this latest deal uh, is used for that, that might fix it short term. That's not recurrent money. So how on earth do we find the money to pay the health service wage bill alone, never mind all of the other government departments. Let's stick with health, though, uh, this morning. Former Chief Executive of the Health and Social Care Board, John Compton, uh, with us today. I wonder, is this going to be a a message of optimism or pessimism, John, about the next 12 months and what lies ahead?
6: Uh, Good morning, Stephen. Well, I don't think it's either going to be optimistic or pessimistic. I think it's going to be realistic, I mean, essentially what he, what he, I assume he will be saying is where he actually is, letting us all know what the budget position is, letting us all know what some of his priorities are. Because despite much of the difficulty that there will be in budget, you still have to take some decisions in terms of where you see the future going. And you can't fix everything at once. So you have to decide which of the three or four things that are really of uh, extreme importance and what he's going to concentrate on those.
4: Pay is 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 a such a major issue, John, and 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 we there's no one doubts how hard health service staff work, but it, it, have we got enough money to pay them what we want to, and run the service we want to.
6: Well, I mean, uh, the the way it's currently working is uh, uh, hopefully the pay deal will come to a conclusion for this year. That finishes at the end of March. The problem will be next year because that starts again in April and the pay negotiation will have to take place. And the likely prospect is that some of the money that was in the transformation fund will have to go to pay and therefore the the speed and pace of change will have to be reduced. It's critical that we get... Uh, You know, uh, from my observation, I think uh, what has happened to use the sporting analogy is that the dressing room has been lost in the health system and you have to get the workforce back on side and you can only do that. By doing the right thing as regards to pay, you can't you know, solve the pay from now to March and then suddenly you're back in the same place again. You have to sort of say this is going to get sorted. We're going to do the right thing in terms of pay this year and the right thing in terms of pay next year. Where are
4: we getting the money from to do that? Because this money from this latest deal, this three odd billion, like it can only be spread so far for so long.
6: Well, that's that's correct. That is, that is correct. But again, remember that deal is, in my understanding, is a two-year deal, and we're moving to a different formula for the money in terms of away from the Barnett formula as it used to be described to a needs-based formula. So it means that uh, the uh, Treasury and the British government have accepted that they have to change that formula. So there will be likely to be an increase in the money year three, four, five and onwards. There'll be a dispute about how much, as there always is, in these things. But the important thing here is to get the workforce back on side. If you don't have the workforce back on side, you can't do anything. You can't make changes. You can't support people in the way that we would like to support people. And you can't maintain a proper workforce. You get all sorts of movement and changes. And all of that causes major problems in in service delivery.
4: So when 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 Robin Swan stands up there today at, at ten o'clock, who and we will take it live here on the Nolan Show on the BBC this morning. By the way, if you're calling us today, our our our, our phone system is down, uh, and we can't put you on air this morning at the moment. We're trying to get our engineers um to fix it obviously as soon as possible. So there's no point calling just yet. Our phone system's bust. We'll get it fixed. Uh, hopefully within the next few minutes. Um, John, um. Is Robin Swan speaking to the staff of the NHS uh, uh, at 10 o'clock today or is he speaking to the public?
6: Well, I think he has a number of audiences, doesn't he, Stephen, really? One of them is the staff. He really has to speak to the staff. He has to sort of say to the staff, look, I'm back In in the ministerial role here, I'm going to provide leadership. I'm going to provide direction. I hear you about your pay issues. I'm doing my level best to sort that out. I hope we've got sorted out, and I I commit to the parity principle and all of that, which seemed to have happened sort of in the the last couple of days in terms of the pay negotiation. But he's also going to have to talk to us as citizens and say, "Listen, this. There are many, many things that I need to do in the health and social care system to get it." back on a level playing field and here's my priorities and for what it's worth I think the sort of priorities he's going to have to talk about are waiting times because we all judge the health service by how long we wait so he's going to have to do something in waiting times I think he's also going to have to do something in the social care scene because I think it's currently about just under eighteen percent of the population in Northern Ireland are over sixty five that's going to grow to closer to thirty percent in the next ten fifteen years. It's not that everybody what percentage is, over 65. It, is it currently I think it's currently about seventeen and a half percent or so so, so it's something going to like nearly that. double. Well, I think, I mean, you know, if you look at the population uh, figures that are going, we are becoming a very old society in terms of the age structure of our society. And if you don't sort out social care, it's not that everybody, far from it, most people who are uh, 65 are fit well, contributing and doing all sorts of things but just the absolute numbers and the percentage of people who do need support grow and the support needs people and it needs money and it needs resources. And if we don't do that, we see what happens all the time. Hospitals become the lender of last resort. They become jammed in their ED departments. You get horror stories of, you know, 85 year old lady waiting for 24 hours or something to get through. Uh, So he has to do something on the social care side of things. And I think also in the cancer work. I think it's very important that he follows that. Now if he if he sort of sets those three or four pay waiting lists, social care, cancers, the the big priorities uh for for him I don't think we can expect him to do, you know, 50 things. We can only expect a- a him to do three or four things. He he will not not do things in family and childcare and other areas. what, what is it?
4: You, you used the term realistic at the very beginning of this interview. Yeah. Uh, and I think that is important in terms of fairness to any minister. And let's talk about Robin Swan today. In terms of fairness to him, what is a fair, realistic target for his 12 months First twelve months as minister, in terms of what he could achieve, for example, with regards to waiting lists.
6: Well, I think he could get control of the waiting lists. I mean, if the waiting lists showed even uh, even if they stopped growing and showed a, a minor or five percent reduction, it would be, it would establish the principle of control. And I think that's what most people want. They they understand that you can't fix these things overnight, but what they desperately want is they want to see that there is some control brought back into waiting lists and that they're just not inexorably growing quarter after quarter after quarter. So I don't think it would be unreasonable to expect a minister to stabilise the waiting lists and to begin to show those waiting lists uh, moving downwards. So
4: are you saying that, look, if waiting lists went up over the the next 12 months, that could be deemed as failure?
6: Well I mean I, I think I, for, from my point of view I think that's right you know I mean at the end of the day you know how big the problem is you know what is the you know number one problem you talk to people all the time and they're telling you about somebody they know who's waiting to get some form of treatment or whatever and I think the society and the executive it's not just from the from the minister's point of view If the executive has a legacy in terms of what it wants to do, it's already talked about, hasn't it, Um, the childcare. uh, It's talked about getting public sector pay on a better uh, uh, platform. And if it talks about control in terms of winning lists and puts its shoulder to the wheel, over a one, two, three-year period, that is entirely doable. Now, if it's not done, then I think we might all turn around and say, well, hold on a minute. Uh, you, You said when you came back that you were going to make changes for us and we're not very content with what you've done. And
4: and, and that's why this this speech that Robin Swan is, is giving today at 10 o'clock, let's see um, what is in it. As I say, we will take it live here um, on BBC Nolan, uh, here on Radio Ulster. Alan Stout, Chair of the, uh, the BMA Committee here in Northern Ireland. Good morning, Dr Stout. Morning, Alan. Good morning, Alan. Okay, we're still having we're still having <laughs> problems. Um, we, we, we can't get anybody on air. We're just talking to you this yeah. morning. So hopefully, right. hopefully, John, you're okay. not going to be on for the next hour and a half. <laughs> no I no harm to you. <laughs> we're, going to have to, we're going to have to start yes. to play music or something. Um, yes, okay. correct.
6: <laughs> well, well, one thing I, I would add in the middle of all of this, we're going to talk about, and he's going to talk about money, isn't he, and all of that. And what it's going to do for the executive, it's going to bring front and centre the debate about charging. Because it is a fact that there isn't enough money to do everything that everybody wants. And and we all understand that. We all understand about realism in the middle of all of that. But we also have to have a more mature debate, I think, as a society about whether or not we're going to contribute financially to that solution or not through charging. And, you know, all of the early signals from the executive are no charging, no charging, no charging. Um well the 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 the, uh, the the direct consequence of that is that there will be limits and quite strict limits on what can actually be done. But but but
4: look, some people have suggested to me that if we're charging for the likes of prescription charges, it would be a relative drop in the ocean towards what the health service needs. So what charge would fundamentally change Swan's ability to improve the health
6: service? Um, I don't I mean, there'll be others who are better placed to talk about the state of charging. But all of the things that we've talked about in the past, all of the things that appear now to be ruled out, you know, sort of water charge, prescription charges, even uh, things like uh, the car parking charges and health systems and stuff like that. And I think the thing that everybody understands, I I think, in the world in which we all live is that, you know, uh, the, the old maximum is, is true, look after the pennies and the pounds, will take care of themselves. So I know things can look small and they can look insignificant, but they are also, uh, if you like, a sense of uh, giving a sense of purpose, a sense of direction and a sense of this is the right thing for us to contribute and to do. And I, I do think as a society, people do want to contribute
4: you you mentioned social care earlier on that's massive that's care packages for people who are so that they can be at home rather than in hospital that could be a a game changer for the flow of people through hospitals the availability of beds if people aren't in a bed in a hospital they're at home but where are we getting the staff from how much do we paying them? How, is is that a significant cost within the health the health budget, social care?
6: Yeah, oh, it is a very significant cost. But but the big issue, the underlying issue, and the underlying issue, <clears throat> many people talk about, uh, and and often it's reduced to money, and money is the problem. We haven't got enough money. We haven't got enough money is the cry. But you know, the really really hard problem here is workforce there aren 't enough people i mean if, if, you, if you look if you look at Northern Ireland, we have one point nine million people, about nine hundred thousand of them in the workforce for good bad or indifferent different reasons, about one hundred and fifty thousand people don 't work. so we actually have about seven hundred and fifty to eight hundred thousand people working of which close to ten percent need to work in the health and social care system, if you include nursing homes and uh, uh, voluntary organizations and such that directly provide care and that's a lot of people and the first problem is those people, that percentage of people don't necessarily want to work in health and social care. So we have to make uh, social care attractive, we have to get it to be properly paid, We ha- because it's in a competitive workforce, and competitive market, we have to get it properly paid, we have to get the people properly trained uh, in terms of that and we have to give them career uh, aspirations. You know, often when we talk about the health and social care system, we sort of nostalgically look back to 1948 and its its inception. and, And that's very important. But actually, the truth is we should be looking more to 2048. And what do we want for it when it's at its 100th birthday? And that means we need an entirely different focus on the nature of social care and how we think about social care who works in social care and the type of career structure there is in social care. And how much we pay these people. And how much we pay these people. You know, because at the end of the day, I mean, and that's when it gets linked to things like charging, Uh, Stephen. You know, we don't pay for social care at home. If you're in England, you do pay for social care. You know, so so there are all sorts of things here that are interconnected. I'm not arguing for charging or against charging. I'm just saying. No, call it.
4: You're a former it, senior executive. You couldn't it, when you're in that job. You can now. Do you yeah. think we should pay for it? Well, I don't
6: think, I I don't think there's any problem with making a contribution towards uh, a social care provision. I really don't think there's any problem with any, any problem with that because the rules and regulations are quite strict in terms of people who are excluded because they're on low income and things like that. Uh, So I I don't think there's any difficulty with all of that. But, but I think the difficulty here and the debate that we have in terms of health is that if you, go into the charging argument, it's not charging for charging sake, it's charging for a purpose and the purpose is to improve your social care provision.
4: Okay. John, thanks very much indeed. Thanks for being with us this morning. It's John Compton. John's the former Chief Executive of the Health and Social Care Board uh, in Northern Ireland. Health is undoubtedly going to be a big story. Uh, It could be a big story every day of the week, every month, couldn't it? Uh, Given how much we all use it Um, as citizens in this country, the Health Minister making uh, a speech at 10 o'clock this morning. We'll bring it live to you here um, on the BBC Today. Now... Next, money continues to be a theme. Cost overruns, weakness in procurement and accountability. Part of the reason why infrastructure will cost more than £2.5 billion than planned, according to the Auditor-General. Let's get our heads around this with the Business Economics Editor, John Campbell. Good morning to you, John. Hi there, good morning. What type of projects are we talking about, John?
7: These are the the biggest building projects commissioned by the public sector. Uh, For example, some of those which are referred to as the Executive's flagship projects are the A5 and 6 Roads, Belfast Rapid Transit System, better known as the Glider, the new Belfast Transport Hub, which is better known as Grand Central Station, the Maternity and Children's Hospital in Belfast, the regional and sub-regional stadia, and also the the fire service um, learning centre in in Desert Crete near Cookstown. So those are the the seven biggest ones. Um, But what the audit office has looked at here is the top 77 projects. So all the recent projects with a value of more than than £25 million. And
4: they're saying that two and a half, it's going to cost two and a half billion more than, than planned. But when was the yeah. th- that base figure set down? How long back are we looking?
7: Well, in terms of those um, flagship projects I mentioned there, they were first identified in, in 2015. And then the costings have, have come a bit later. Um, so some of these, you know, they have quite a, a long pedigree and and some are more recent So in in that regard, I think one thing you're driving at there is there was always going to be an element of inflation um, from the, the, the conception of these projects and their initial costing to their actual delivery. And we've clearly had this huge burst of inflation in the last couple of years um, and construction inflation has probably been higher than, than the general rate of inflation that, that has been experienced across the economy. So, for example, anybody who's who's tried to get any like work done in their house in the last couple of years will know that, that the prices of everything, materials, labour and all the rest of it has gone up and you scale that up. And that clearly has an impact on on some of these projects. But that that comes to the one of the key issue here is just how long it takes to get these things off the page and into the ground because all that delay is going to cost money um and you know the the one thing which the, the auditor general identifies in terms of those seven flagship projects she says listen these were first identified in in 2015 only one of them has actually been finished to its original specification and that's the glider the other the other six aren't done. Some of them are, are quite in an advanced state now, but others like the, the A5 aren't even physically started.
4: The Auditor General also talks, John, uh, uh, about part of the reason for this extra cost, and absolutely inflation plays a, a, a significant part, as you've described. But she also says that it's about weakness in procurement and accountability. Is that damning?
7: Yeah, I think one of the, the key things here is about the early stage of the the projects when they are being scoped and commissioned. So what is it exactly we're looking to do? How much is it going to take um, to, to build it? How long is this likely to take? So that that is a, a key point in any project. And what the Auditor General seems to be suggesting is that is where there is maybe a deficit of skills on the civil service side you know, at that stage of of the actual commissioning of the projects. It's a pretty significant then they, deficit then, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. And then and then the difficulties obviously clearly flow from that because, you know, if you have a project and you know the the scope is, is not correct and it might be a legal challenge, there might be planning issues, um, it may be that you've not factored certain things in. And there there is um Expertise within the the public sector in terms of things like this, like the there's a, there's a body called the Strategic Investment Board, and really when the the Auditor General is looking at an example of best practice, she's really talking about very early engagement with the Strategic Investment Board in order to get these these things right. So that that is you know an area of skills weakness that that has been been identified, and I suppose in some ways the depressing thing about this is this is a follow up report. Um, the, the first big look at these infrastructure projects was was four years ago. And the Auditor General says that in, in some areas there just hasn't been um, significant improvement, that lessons learned haven't been implemented. And who is responsible for that? So who, who who is responsible
4: for a report four years ago not being followed up, improvements not
7: being made? Well, I suppose the fact that we didn't have a government for about two years of that uh, didn't really help. We still have uh, a civil service. The s- yeah, um, there's only so much the civil service can do without ministerial direction, um, and you know there are there are other kind of broader structural issues here which the the auditor general talks about that this this our system of government does not lend itself to collective responsibility in the way it might in other places, but. And, you know, we also heard from the Construction Employers Federation this morning suggesting that we had that big civil service redundancy exercise a number of years ago. And you got a lot of experience leaving organisations without necessarily being properly replaced. But,
4: but, but the, the, the civil service in its own right, John, if that report four years ago talked about weaknesses and, and improvements that were needed... Is it the job of the head of the civil service or some senior people within the civil service, whether there's a government or not, to take that report and try to make improvement? Should there have been improvement by the civil service over the last four years?
7: Oh, absolutely. And I think what they would say is that there there are certain things which they have done. So the, the Auditor General does mention that they're... Are, are certain steps which have been taken, such as, um, you know, with the bigger projects, more regular reporting to the overall Northern Ireland Civil Service Board. So, and there's other pieces of work in, in train, for example, by the Strategic Investment Board, looking at trying to crack these early-stage issues. So there, there are certain things where there has been progress from four years ago, but the Auditor-General is also saying, unacceptable, that in other areas around the governance and control of these projects, there has not been enough progress.
4: The Auditor-General also spoke about Casement Park. Let's have a listen.
1: The figures um, that the department provided to us in, in, in regard to casement were the latest available figures that it had in July 23 when a proposed contract change was issued publicly. And at that stage, the anticipated cost range was between 112 and 140 million pounds. Um, Now, the department have told us that it is investigating options at present, but that's the last cost estimate that was provided.
4: Now, where I think the the key point is within that segment, by the way, that that was the Auditor General speaking to Good Morning Ulster this morning, John. But she said between 112 and 140 million last July. How on earth has it gone from 140 million to the speculation that it could be 220 or
7: 320? A year later. To, to be honest, that didn't dictate it any further on this morning. All she's basically is saying is listen, I just work on the figures the department's given me, and those are the last figures I had. And it's not, she doesn't have a remit at the moment to be looking into, you know, to, to what might specifically have happened in terms of those costings. So, to be honest, on, on casement, I, I don't think we really got really much in the way of enlightenment this morning. Well, well, but,
4: but if the figure last July was a hundred and twelve to a hundred and forty million last July. Yeah. it is surely interesting if this if the speculation is right and it's gone to 220 million or 300 million whatever the figure is within what? eight
7: months? How on earth yeah. could
4: that be the case? It suggests the speculation's wrong.
7: Well, we don't know, and um, she hasn't been asked to look at this. Maybe somewhere down the line, the Auditor-General, I'm pretty sure the Auditor-General, at some point down the line will look at this in more detail. But but at the moment, she, she's not, so we're we're not really any further on than we were last week or the week before. OK,
4: John Campbell, thank you very much in, indeed. Thank you. Our lines are open. Our phone system is back working, so thanks to the BBC engineers uh, for sorting that out at, at speed. 20 minutes, I can barely get up and get dressed in the morning in 20 minutes. They've fixed the BBC in 20 minutes, isn't that great? 030 30 80 uh, 55 55 is the number so you can get through now this morning so we can talk about this speech from um, from the health minister, Robin Swan, coming at 10 o'clock this morning. We can hear from you uh, today today. And also, what I was talking to John about there. So, the Auditor General telling Gamu this morning that the last figure she saw, July 2023, was a costing of 112 to 140 million. So, do you get my point? If the speculation's right, and you had the likes of, it was Jim Shannon, wasn't it, from the DUP, he was speculating that that casement could cost 220 odd million now. So, if it's gone up dramatically in the last eight months, how? And if it hasn't, then would it not be better if we had the accurate figure as to what it's going to be costing us? How is it none of our business? There will be commercial sensitivities around all of this as to put out that that broad figure. But my goodness, if it soared to where the speculation is suggesting, how has that happened in eight months? Lots to talk about today. Dr. Alan Stout, the chair of the BMA. Good morning to you, uh, Alan. Good morning, good morning. Good morning. Sorry, I'm all flustered today. (laughs) You can't do a phone-in show if our phones are bust. I'm all flustered. There's nothing you can do worse to me Alan then take away my phones
8: uh, dear, imagine if you run a GP practice and your phones break uh, so I can fully sympathise with you it's wow. a disaster we're, we're back up and running
4: now tell me this Alan um, here we have Robin Swann our health minister due to make this speech in about half an hour's time I wonder if he is going to try to manage our expectations here in Northern Ireland um, do you think he needs to are we in for a rough 12 months
8: Oh, we are. We absolutely are. I mean, everybody working on the front line knows just how rough a 12 months it is likely to be. Uh, And you can see that with the staff. I mean, and and this is the biggest issue that he has right in front of him is trying to keep his staff, keep the faith uh, on the confidence of the, the staff. And uh, and and that is going to be so fundamental to these coming uh, twelve months. But we have to be realistic uh, within it as to what we can actually deliver. Well,
4: maybe that means you're supporting the junior doctors, for example, uh, striking next Wednesday. Maybe that means your doctors and your union um, being realistic. You've been offered nine percent pay rise. You're saying it's not enough. You're going on strike. What's that going to do to waiting lists next week?
8: But won't it won't really affect waiting lists? To be honest with you, I mean, we have these taking junior doctors out
4: for a day won't affect waiting lists. How come?
8: When when we've got waiting lists that are stretching for many years, uh, one day of industrial action won't uh, have a, a significant effect on that. In fact, it will be the exact opposite. I mean, the only way we solve will for those who
4: have their appointments cancelled next Wednesday it will affect them.
8: Well, again, there's been plenty of notice given. I I don't accept that position either because there's been plenty of notice given of what this day is going to be. So our hope would be that a lot of people weren't actually ever booked for that day. So hence they won't need to be cancelled. You know, so it's about preparing and this is about the system preparing. But in amongst it, I mean, the vital point in amongst this is that we the only way we can solve the problems that we have in the health service at the moment uh, is with our staff. Uh, and we need a really strong, a really motivated and a really committed workforce. And, but, but, and what we're seeing is people leaving our workforce. For vo- and this is where the minister's priority absolutely has to be, is that we de- deliver a level of excellence within our health service that we can not only retain our current staff, but we can actually start attracting more people into our health service as well.
4: So 9% isn't enough?
8: Nine percent. So the problem that we have and why nine percent isn't enough is that we have worked with government after government, and this is UK government after government, uh, through their period of austerity where they haven't awarded the one and two percent over a number of years. And the problem that happens whenever you get a big jump in inflation, a big bump in inflation like we've had, and the government still doesn't match that, then people start to get very aggravated and very upset about it. And they look back and they say, well, hold on a second, quarter, about these 13, 14 years that you haven't been matching inflation? And they add that up. And that's where you get these really big figures. And the UK government, and let's, let's be clear, uh, most of this debate and most of this argument is with the UK government, could have headed this all off very, very early uh, by giving some sort of realistic offer at an early stage.
4: So if it's with the UK government, then you're not sending a message to Robin Swann next Wednesday by striking.
8: Well, it's a bit of both. Uh, but I mean, but it's, if it's you're indeed.
4: saying it's the UK, like what wriggle room? Look at the the uh, the demand, Alan, on that health budget. Yeah. So yeah. so what could? Wh- where do you want Robin Swann to take the money from to oh, give it for pay? Like wh- so where where does he magic that money from?
8: Yeah, so this, this becomes part of the wider discussion. I mean, let, let's again be absolutely clear. We have an enormous amount of money goes into health in, in Northern Ireland. And when we look at the budget, we need to understand exactly what we have and exactly what we're spending it on. And we need to prioritise. And one of the problems is that one of the absolute key priorities and, and I mean people can listen to the people working on the front line or they can decide not to, but one of the key priorities is to retain our staff. We can't do anything. We can't and we know that. Look look at the service as it is at the moment. If we don't have staff, if we can't retain and we can't attract staff we cannot deliver and we will end up with ED problems, we'll end up with GP practice closures, we'll end up with astronomical waiting So,
4: for what you're defining as fair pay, hmm. is the fight against the UK government or is the fight with Robin Swan? I think that's a material question.
8: Yeah, and the answer is it's both, because health is devolved. These decisions are devolved. We've seen what's happened in the rest of the UK. We've seen Scotland solve it with decisions that were made by Scottish government and hence Scotland do not have any strikes and they have used their funding they haven't actually had the three plus billion that we're getting additional they've used funding that's already within their system to solve it and to prioritize their staff and to make sure that they can move on to much better uh, things in much better places.
4: Realistically, again, the the word of the day here on the Nolan Show, being realistic, Alan, mm. what type of statement from the health minister, Robin Swan, or firm offer would lead to you at least suspending the strikes next Wednesday?
8: Yeah, again, it has to be something similar to Scotland. I mean, I, I'm very conscious I'm not one of the junior doctor representatives and I don't want to, to speak on their behalf and I certainly don't want to to tread on their toes uh, within this but we have seen an example of what solved for the problem and what Scotland have offered uh, is above uh, in terms of the, the in-year rise is above what's being offered here, and they've also made a very firm commitment to that pay restoration over a number of years, and I think that is realistically where we need to be uh, in, in that same sort of space. Okay,
4: Alan, thank you. We remind ourselves that there are people behind every one of these stories. Hugh is one of them. Morning to you, Hugh. Morning, Stephen. Morning, and, and you've been on the Nolan show before, Hugh. Um W- just remind us what your condition is.
2: I uh, Yellow you know, Fisher in the back passage, and um, I was told it'd be over 18 months waiting list. And I thank you um, last year when you brought me on because within five or six weeks, I actually got an appointment for the city. But um, what happened for me was that when I actually went down that day um, to get the Botox done in the yellow Fisher, I noticed a lump in the back pocket, and I said to the surgeon, "Um, could you check the lump when you're doing the Botox to make sure there's nothing there? So when I woke up in the recovery ward, um, nothing was said. So I honestly assumed that anything was grand. See, for the first five weeks, Stephen, um, coming out of the hospital, going to the toilet was great. See, the last six or seven weeks, I'm actually in agony again. I I went down to the hospital because the pain was that bad last week, and the doctor saying I have an abscess which is infected now in the back passage. They don't know why it's connected to the bowel or not. So I have to go back again next week to the city for an appointment. Well, it's been just uh, it's been a, it's totally horrendous, the pain.
4: And when you you, you said that you had been waiting for 18 months, have mm-hmm. you now got the procedure you needed to get?
2: I did. I got it in January.
4: So how long in total did you wait?
2: Um I've about eight or nine months. I would have been, when, before I contacted you, um, I was told it was 18 months. I'd waited an hour, 12 months, 14 months. But when I contacted your show, I got an appointment within five weeks. And again, I thank you a lot for that.
4: You don't need to to, to thank me. You know, your place in the BBC is, is funded by the money you pay through your licence fee. Um, the pain you were in, I think the reason why it resonated with so many people the pain you were in was excruciating and is indicative of pain that many people have with the whole breadth of conditions sitting on a waiting list and they can't afford to go private and it's real pain for real people.
2: Yeah, definitely. I said before, Stephen, I've worked from a 15-year-old. If if I'd have added up all the national insurance I've paid from 15, I'm coming 59 now, now, I could have been through six or seven operations myself, could have paid for it myself. To me, um, when you pay that much over that many years, you're entitled to see a doctor. I know like it's, things are bad at the moment, but everybody always talks about these hospitals, too many hospitals in Belfast. How exactly much would it save if one of the the MLAs got together and said, like, we're going to have to close one of these hospitals? Would that gain a lot of money extra? Nobody wants to make that decision because they're all scared. The MLA is the want to turn and say, "Well, I'm not going to close all the hospital beside me because I might lose votes." And that's where it's been for years.
4: Robin Swan will be speaking in about fifteen twenty minutes' time. We'll hear him on the Nolan Show. The speech that he gives. What are you hoping to hear from him today?
2: I just want to see some some more um, easier for the the especially the the ones who are maybe on cancer things who are waiting on less. To me, they need to be prioritised first. I mean, uh, this—it's it's all about money, money, money. But the it shouldn't be about money. It should be about uh, people's welfare, their health. Because, as, as I said before, Stephen, if you picture yourself or me, if if I was actually thinking of got cancer and the said in the hospital, you might have cancer, but you're going to have to wait eight months, nine months to get the test done. See the the mental health you must go through waiting that. Within the witten
4: on Portland. It's horrendous. Thank you for calling us today, David and Derry. Morning, David.
9: Good morning, Stephen. Go ahead, David. I I was on you before and I said, see, the secretary of mistakes he should be called over the Northern Ireland because the fuck stops with him. He allocated the money, and he said he would do this and he would do that. He has done nothing. And the, in fact, if he had to put the, the the MPs, the Minister for Health, Robert Swan, they could kind have of got a fair fair idea of uh, an overall package financial. You understand? Yeah. What? No, he he The Conservative government seem to be happy uh, dividing this country again, breaking it up and bringing it back to uh, inside political rambling over money. There shouldn't be no rambling over money. He should be over here and Richie Sunak they can spend, they, they can shake a money tree and get us all sort of. There their... is
4: no magic money tree and also oh, also the political parties determined that that the, the, that there was sufficient money Uh, for them to decide to go back into the executive. They wanted back in. They wanted to fight for more money after they were back in. They promised that there would be improvements with the money they had with a local executive. So let's see. If only there was an executive. Let us back in is what most of them were saying. Let us get in there to start delivering for people. So let's see how much delivery there is over the next 12 Uh, months.
9: Yes but that was after he said that was after it was up and running. I mean, there's nothing more important than peace and stability in this. Okay. Little part david, of this david thank yeah. you thank you very yeah, much
4: yeah, indeed no. zero thirty thirty eighty fifty five fifty five uh, is the number to call today. Money continues to be a, a prevailing theme be it that we 're talking about caseman Park and who 's going to pay for that be it that we 're expecting the health minister today, Robin Swan, to be talking about money and and, 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 and realistic. Outlook at the next 12 months and what the health service can afford to pay. And then we look at this next story. The Department for Infrastructure um, has received 20,000 responses. That's relatively high Uh, when they were consulting about putting the age up uh, uh, before um, you get your free bus pass from 60 to state pension age. The department said the cost of free bus passes has gone up significantly in in recent years. They say 22, 23, it costs 39 million. It's estimated that'll go up to 44 and a half million this year, 52 million by 2030. Chief Executive to the Commissioner for Old People for Northern Ireland, Evelyn Hoy, uh, with us this morning. Evelyn, morning to you. Morning. Finite pot of money. Why should all pensioners get a free bus pass?
1: I guess that's the question. Yeah, well, I think, you know, Stephen, the the free bus pass is one thing, but really the bus pass is an access to a lot of other things for older people. I mean, the Smart Pass really has both social, economic, environmental and health benefits. And doing away with it for older people um, is, is a real short term saving that will pass costs on to other departments. Um, You know, if you just take the environmental goals of the executive at the minute, SmartPass allows older people to stop using their cars as much. Some households reduce their cars from two to one. Um, You know, we're, we're taking cars off the road, we're improving air pollution. And at a time when we're asking people at large to take the bus more often, it seems really counterproductive to take the bus pass off Older people Is it though
4: so there's, there's nobody questioning that, that it provides mobility, it provides connection and all of that. The question here is about whether those people should pay for it if they can
1: Well I mean the smart path has been earned by lifelong taxpayers. Stephen you know and it doesn't it doesn't seem sensible to take support of one marginalized group to give it to another. That's not really how we want our society in Northern Ireland to But work.
4: Evelyn, could you not make that argument about the people we've just been talking about, the people that have worked all their life or some of their life, they pay national insurance and they're sitting on a health waiting list because the health service doesn't have enough money uh, to, to, to be able to provide for everyone. You, you, you could use this notion. It, most people pay tax. So yes, yeah. pensioners have paid all their life, but also... There, there's a younger generation that cannot access the services that they need, and they're paying for them.
1: Yes, Stephen. But we heard very, um, we've heard throughout the news this morning about carers who are having to give up their work. Those are mostly older women. Uh, the, the example given on GME this morning was a lady who has given up her profession as a nurse and is now on benefits. The Smart Pass is going to be a very, very strong benefit for her. So we can't have it always if we want older people to be part of society, to volunteer their services, to provide childcare, to provide caring services for other older people, then we have to give them some benefit. We have to give them some support to do that. And we think that the Ministry should be looking at a genuine cost benefit analysis of the value of the smart pass across social cohesion. Mm-hmm environment and all those other factors.
4: What about the benefit being, look, I'm not advocating this, I'm asking it as a question, what about the benefit yeah. being that society subsidises those pensioners who cannot afford to pay but does not subsidise those pensioners who can?
10: <laughs> well, cost, it's a bit like
1: the prescription charges. When when those were means tested, the administrative burden of means testing outweighed the benefit of actually having free prescriptions, and I think it's the same with the smart pass. We asked our executives to come back, and so that the parties could tackle the cost of living crisis together. Now, there, there's very little doubt that smart pass will have a sort of bottom line, you know, um, saving for the Department of Infrastructure, but it's going to pass costs on to other departments like health. I mean, lots of people can't get appointments in their local area or can't get to a hospital appointment without using the bus pass. And this fallacy of very wealthy pensioners who are sitting out there with their two cars and, you know, that's not who we're talking about. We're talking about people who genuinely use it every day to maintain their social activity. They can go out and have a cup of tea with their friends because they don't have to pay their bus fare. So, you know, even in terms of just simple social cohesion, the bus pass is a very good value for money. We, we, we're
4: expecting to hear from the health minister probably about 10 minutes time now. Um, Evelyn, uh, John Compton talking this morning about, look, he, he reckons he needs to talk about pay for workers. Uh, social care is what John also mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. If the minister does talk about social care and those packages, that that's a lot of packages, not not exclusively for older people, but many of them are, and mm-hmm. older people being at home and being able to be at home. How mm-hmm. much of a problem is it?
1: Well, at the minute, social care needs a very significant reform. Um, the care home costs, the cost of domiciliary care, the availability of domiciliary care in in Uh, local areas is really poor at the moment. Lots and lots of older people are complaining to the Commissioner that they simply can't get that kind of support. And I think we all, as we head into our older age, want to live at home as independently as possible for as long as possible. But the current state of domiciliary care, the really extreme care home costs, access to GP services, the waiting lists, all of those things combined... To make it very, very difficult for the
4: people. Evelyn, thanks very much indeed. Thanks for coming on this morning. Zero thirty thirty eighty fifty five fifty five. Thomas in Coly Hannah. Morning, Thomas. Morning,
11: Stephen. Go ahead. Well, I think it's an act of madness to, to, if they're going to take the, the passes off these people. Well, they're because consulting. They're consulting on raising the age. Yes, to sixty five or sixty six. Yeah. <coughs> but I 67, think sixty seven. Is it? To, to,
4: to, I don't know something
11: like that. If they take this off that there'll be a lot of hotels in Belfast will be closed because the trains I travel to Belfast or Dublin the fair bit and the trains are packed like sardines in a tin with aged people on the train. And you're telling me so- a lot of them couldn't afford the train fare? Yes, yeah, I think pensioners uh, sh- sh- should get this when the, when the walk to 60, to 60 or 65. But you've like got, the walk but, for the long term and Th- be tax Thomas,
4: place. it's not popular. And there are a lot of older people listening to Nolan today. It's not popular for me to ask the question, but I'm not here to ask populist questions. I'm here to ask realistic questions. Here's one of them, Thomas, right? For those people that are currently paying their taxes, uh, lots of tax to drive on our roads, and they're seeing the amount of potholes on our roads, that costs money to fix. As soon as you start working, I've been working from I was 14, 15, you're, pay, you're paying national insurance, right? You're paying national insurance, part of the reason you're paying it, so if you get sick, you'll get into hospital, you'll get treated. Many people of all different ages are sitting on waiting lists. There isn't enough Money, you've got the likes of Casement Park. Many people out of their taxes will be thinking, "Well, do you know what? We want to be able to afford this massive stadium. We want to be able to afford it. There's a, there's a, there's a demand on money for that as well. So why should pensioners get this special treatment of don't touch us, even if we can afford to contribute?"
11: Well, do you know much pensioners are getting here? Less than £200 a week. If you could live on that, you're good. And, and, and if they're not entitled to a pass to Belfast or Dublin... What about the rich ones? Well, they could, they could sort out the rich ones and, and, and take, take it off them, surely. I'd be all on for that.
4: Thomas, thank you. Phil Kelly, commentator, Brendan McGrew, commentator, former special advisor. Morning, Phil. Morning, Brendan. Morning, Stephen.
11: Morning,
4: morning Phil. Go ahead. You, you And Brendan. Phil, you go first. Go ahead.
12: Well, talking about reducing the access to free travel points to an absolute lack of ambition. It also points to an economic illiteracy that is prevalent among UK policymakers, especially in the last number of decades. The secret to a successful, effective public transport system is convenience and low cost. Ticket sales and raising the cost of travel do not represent an effective or realistic funding model for public transport. So if you take the example in twenty twenty, this is where this idea is going in the opposite direction of prevailing logic. In twenty twenty Luxembourg became the first country in the world to scrap all travel fares on public transport across the country. And the benefits have been huge. Now the 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 money raised in ticket sales in travel was forty million in Luxembourg a year to pay for a system that costs 800 million euros. So raising prices or, or adding more people into the pool of paying passengers doesn't fund a world-class public transport system. You've got to do it a different way. And really the benefit of not only giving it to to Uh, those over 60, but expanding free travel, the economic benefit is huge. It has a benefit in reducing...
4: the economic uh, cost for the pensioners alone, according to the Department for Infrastructure, is £52 by
13: 2030. Brendan? Stephen, there's been a lot of talk about the free bus pass for pensioners. And and pensioners, I wouldn't disagree with much of what Evelyn had to say, but at the minute, we give free bus passes to 60-year-olds. And if we were starting with with no concessionary fare scheme in place, and we were designing one, why would we start with people aged 60 who are working? The vast majority of you're not paying when you're 60. You're not a pensioner. So, if I, the last day of my 59th year, I will pay two pounds 10p for the bus to work. But the next day, when I'm still earning the same money, still making the same contribution to society and everything else, I get it free. It is absolutely illogical. So, the people who can well afford to pay for public services. Are going to get free travel uh, to and from work, and when you're age sixty, you're most likely towards the senior part of your career. You're earning more than your more junior colleagues. You're the one that's getting free. Well, travel it's called you've paid into the system, work. get a bit yeah, back. I yes, I know. But so far, still get a bit back. Like, so far, like so far, get a bit back when you're when you're when you're not when you're no, no longer uh, working when you when you do, when you hit pension age sixty seven when the state pension kicks in, absolutely great. Give people free travel, or it's not just about extending the age. The consultation, which I think is a good document, also examines uh, things like expanding to people with disabilities so they don't get half fare, they get free fare. Let's do that. The, it talks about taking the uh, making the concessionary scheme available off-peak so it only kicks in after half-nine. There's a certain logic to that that means people that are... If it's giving work, it to... to Stephen,
12: this this argument is decades out of date. Tell you what, and Phil, stay, stay there
4: for me. We'll pick it up after the... the Ten o'clock news this morning, um, if that's all right. So stay there, Phil. Stay there, Brendan, if you can. Zero thirty thirty eighty fifty five fifty five. So a lot going on this morning. We like it when there's big news days, don't we? And there's lots and lots going on for us to talk about. We're expecting to hear from the health minister, Robin Swan. Let's see what he says in this speech that he's due to give in the next few minutes. And we're talking about free bus passes this morning. I was about to say that if older people get a free bus pass, why don't children? Why not give it to children as well so they can uh, drive about? Right, we're in the middle of talking about bus passes. There's a consultation, 20,000 people, which is relatively high, actually, for a consultation. Um, It ended last August. Uh, They received 20,000 responses to whether the age for your free bus pass should go up from 60 to state pension age. That's going to become 67 uh, very soon, isn't it? That's... Um, I think that has been decided. i check it. Certainly 65, 66, isn't it? Um, Phil Kelly, you were about to... Brendan McGrew was suggesting that some people, some pensioners should be penned for them. Phil Kelly, you were objecting.
12: Yeah, but Brendan is making an argument and this debate is decades out of date in modern develop, developed societies. And no one is looking to the UK as a model of public transport provision or infrastructure. It is a failed model. And now... What I'm saying is, you want to expand the amount of people using public transport. That, that those paying fares and and tra- travel costs are not funding that service. No world-class public transport system is paid for by fare-paying. Per- but
4: there passengers. is a real and cost to these free me, bus me, passes. Let it it let is this me, year forty-four let me, let me and a half million pounds.
12: Yes, but if you are not economically illiterate, then countries like Luxembourg are saying there's a real argument and benefit for actually increasing the number of people who travel for free, and they have done it for everyone across the board. And Luxembourg many across lo- Europe... Can I just finish many cities across Europe are following that model? The economic benefits of encouraging public transport travel, reducing traffic, reducing congestion but on there our is road. nothing
4: there is no intention of giving free bus travel uh, to, for example, as I said earlier, children. there is no intention of widening it out to, to... and that,
12: that points to the absolute lack of ambition. Or, or logical thinking that we have and, in our policy And, and by
4: the way, I was right, the state pension age is due uh, to go up. It's between 2026 and 2028 to 67. Go ahead,
13: Brendan. Luxembourg, as a comparator, is one of the richest companies in the world. It has the highest uh, average salary, literally, in, in, in the world. Uh, so it's not, a, it's not realistic to compare Ireland, Northern Ireland or, or the UK to the likes of Luxembourg, who have, the we- who have the means to provide free transport. There's actually no such thing as free public transport. It, it, it has to be paid for, if not by individuals, then centrally or through higher taxes by someone. Someone pays for the transport system. You know, the government gets the money off of taxpayers uh, and off businesses. So if every free fare that a pensioner gets, and someone over 60, sorry, to clarify, someone over 60 gets, the Department for Infrastructure pays for that. And that's 2.10p. Whether the fare is that, that's going free for a train journey or a bus journey, that cannot be invested elsewhere. And what the result of that is, we are reducing public transport services in rural areas because there's not enough money to go around. And if you you extrapolate that over and beyond the provision of transport, we have the same conversation that you opened with this morning, Stephen, about a billion pound shortfall in the Department of Health, about all of the other spending shortfalls that we have. And so far, our government, newly installed, has said no to water rates, uh, sorry, no to water charges, no to any uh, 15% potential rates increase, no to tuition fees. You know, we're going to need to say yes to something. We can't give away everything for free it, and continue it, it really to have essentially, essentially a low tax account. It doesn't work, Phil. It doesn't add up. Yeah, and There's and no such thing as free it, transport. Someone pays yeah, for it. And
12: if the, listeners, if the listeners to this show look around our society now, OK, and they look at the high streets, which are full of vacant shops, shuttered up buildings, derelict houses, they see the problems in schools. With you know under-resourced schools, they see the problem in our health service that Stephen's been talking about today. And what you see here is consistently a government and policymakers who refuse to invest in health, education, transport edu- uh, infrastructure, and housing. And there's a real-world cost to that. And most other sensible countries that are progressing and and actually building vibrant economies invest in those things because they know if you invest in health education. Have we got, got the money? To invest, invest, with what? Inve- to the economy. invest with what?
13: Invest with what? Where does the money come from? Well, if we're giving everyone, you free, we're giving come everyone come free travel. If we're giving everyone free travel, for, for example, as, as you've advocated, Phil, that's another hundreds of millions out of the public purse. So what how, what, what are we going to use to invest in the health service? The health do, you, do you think a public transport system can be paid for by fares and ticket sales? Do you believe that? No, it, no, it's paid for by government by government intervention and uh, and public fares. Yeah, that's the that's the mix we have. So you actually this, believe why are we not why, why does a, public why transport does, system can be paid for by ticket
5: sales? Why, why,
12: why does a fifty nine year
13: old why, 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 why does a fifty nine year
5: old
12: Why does a fifty nine year old idea. pay to go? Hold on, hold
13: on. To, Why does a fifty nine year old pay to go to work on a bus when a six year old doesn't?
12: But I'm arguing that log- you know, we should here's be log- example, Brendan? Okay,
4: here's What's Frank. In, there, a log- Let's bring in some of our callers. Frank. Good morning, Frank.
14: Good morning. Is that you, Steve? It
4: is. Go ahead,
14: Stephen. I'm a pensioner. I'm 80 years old. Right. Yep. And I'm handicapped, and and and, and my wife, my wife has a, a hard time with me because looking after me. And she's having a bad medical time as well. And we like... She's a driver, but she doesn't like driving now. So what we do is, when spring is coming about and summer's coming about, we take a couple of days off a week and we go out to a coastal town, we go out to a city... We whine and we dine and we walk about and we have adventures and and, and we break the boredom.
4: But Frank, could you afford to pay for that bus? And would you want to pay for that bus if it freed up money for elsewhere? If it freed up money for health, if it freed up money for education? Would you want to pay for your transport or not? If
14: it was taking money away from health, if it was taking money away from education, there's plenty of places where money can come from if they want to do that. That's no problem. This is only a small avenue for them to steal. What we want to do is to let people who suffer mentally and physically enjoy life.
4: Frank, thank you so much for calling us this morning. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Colleen in Belfast. Morning, Colleen. Stephen. Go ahead.
10: Stephen, I just wanted to make the point that the reason why the bus passes were given at 60 was because years ago, women were given their pension at 60. So you became a pensioner when you were a lady at 60. So they had to give it to men too. Then it was taken off women. And there's still a fight going you know, on at Parliament regarding women getting that backdated of a certain age, which I am of one. I'm now 68, coming. I worked until I was 67, but I got the train every day to the Belfast City Hospital and didn't have to pay, which I thought was ridiculous. But i paid my taxes, so I took it. So you're not a pensioner when you're 60. It should only be given to you when you're a pensioner. And it's going to be sixty-seven soon. You mentioned that earlier, and you were correct. So the the, pen, the the lady there who was talking for the old people's commissioners, sixty-year-olds aren't old. We are expected to work until we're at least sixty-six. If you're fortunate enough and you have a personal pension, you can leave work earlier. But why should you well,
4: get it when you retire?
10: Because you're well. I do agree with it. that you get it when you retire. Why? It's coming all over the UK. It's, it's a perk for paying your taxes. But can
4: Northern Ireland afford this type of perk given where we're currently at?
10: But it would be a lot less money. You talked about it was going to be forty odd million pounds next year. No it's costing
4: because... it's it's costing um let me let me just get these figures right. So it's costing forty four point six million this year for 2023-2024. 2024. Yes. And 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 they reckon it'll cost fifty two million by twenty thirty.
10: But if you were cutting that back until you actually got your pension, there would be a lot of people who wouldn't receive it. That's my point, Stephen. There would be a lot of people who would still be working, and until you get your state pension, then then you would be able to get your free bus pass. That's that's all my point. That was the only point I was trying to make. You're not a pensioner when you're sixty
13: you should not get a bus pass. That's just my point. Brendan, well, it's a, it's, a, it's the point I opened up with Stephen. Um, you know, when you were uh, excuse me, talking to Evelyn, it was all it was, the chat opened up about pensioners. Um, and I agree, your last caller is exactly right. Sixty-year-olds are not pensioners. So if the scheme is to help pensioners access and avoid social exclusion and all of those things, then then target at pensioners. I just don't see the logic in a sixty-year-old who is well able to pay the bus fare to get to work. Doesn't and a 59 year old pays and a 60 year old doesn't. Doesn't It just doesn't. It is is absolutely illogical. Is is, is, is it it logical
4: or is it fair? And look, it might be. I am not saying it's not. But if you're 70, 75 years of age and you treat yourself every year to, you know, or every couple of years to a new car. And, and and if you're going on a couple of holidays because you're at that stage of life and you're thinking to yourself, well, do you know what? I'm going to go on holiday as much as possible. I, I get it. I, I I think everybody understands that if you've got the money to be able to do it. But if you've got the money to be able to do all of those things, should you be getting a free perk of free transport? Well, Stephen, you know, Yes, Phil. Sorry. Stephen, it's
12: amazing that after over a decade of the total failure of Tory... A sturdy politics. You've seen the damage that it's done, the slashing of public spending across all sectors of our society, the damage that it's done, it's increased national debt, it's left communities failing, our society failing, and we still have people like Brendan who can't get it, who can't get that they're arguing something that is decades out of date, that most countries are moving in an opposite direction, who are widening the debt, which you've said. They want to give access. Which you've said, and free access Mary's to in Belfast. public
4: Belfast. Morning, Mary.
10: Good morning. Um, it's interesting, there, fellow's argument who I think is from you know way out west in the province, where there are no buses, or you know, if, if there was, that, I think you quoted the figure of fifty-two million. Fifty-two million would buy a few buses and pay some drivers to actually put buses on in the country. I mean, the people in Belfast have you know means of transport, and most people have cars, and they don't live that f- far from anywhere. But I mean, if you even go up to Enniskillen, to to Kelly Heaven as some people do, and I have been there once or twice, you can't even get a um, a bus back to it, or uh, from it, or to it from Enniskillen, and that's only a matter of a couple of miles. I there are no buses for people in the country that want to travel.
4: I think Robert and is making a similar point. Morning, Robert. How are you? Okay, thank you.
3: Good. It's uh, you know, just the same situation here. If I want a bus, I have to walk one mile. And at 74 years of age, I'm not really capable of that. So the, the system just seems to be unreal and nobody cares anymore about who gets what. And uh, you know, I just I feel so frustrated and angry. That at, at my age, I drive a car. I have a car.
4: You don't need a bus then? Sorry? You don't need a bus, Robert.
3: I don't need a bus, Stephen, but I would, to be honest, like to be able to walk from where I live to Carador get yeah. a bus in the banker. Yeah. No, have a fit around the shops, whatever. Sure. Bus back because it's free. But everybody wants to take that away from you. I've never used it. I've had it for, oh God, I don't know how many years. Never once used it.
4: Because you can't. Because there's, there's not a service close to you.
3: That's that's about the height of it.
4: Yeah. but do you, I just
3: prefer to walk out my door and get into my
4: car. But given the fact, Robert, that, look, you, you can afford a car, right? And I'm not. I'm not saying that in a pejorative way. No, you, no. You, so can you? No, I absolutely. So I'm not saying that in a cheeky way. I'm saying. Right, look No I understand I'm, that. I'm saying,
3: i, I apologise. I shouldn't. No, have said that.
4: no, no, no problem at all. So look, Robert. Given the fact that you can afford a car and there's insurance with the car and and, and taxes and all of that that we pay for those of us who have a car, w- would you be prepared to pay for a bus pass if it was a better service?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely.
4: Or do or do you think, Robert, by the time you get to seventy, you've worked all your life, you've paid a fortune in taxes. Maybe when you get to pension age, society should be giving you a lot of free things if it can.
3: No, I disagree with her. Tell me why. Um you know, I'm at well I mean I stand on my own two feet. I'm not short of money. I've had a lot of pensions that have come and paid out. Uh, that gives me a healthy bank balance. So what I would basically say is people aren't careful enough when they're younger. To I can remember when I was in my 30s uh, being advised to take out pensions and I laughed. And now I'm going, yeah, should yeah. have done that. Yeah. Did it. I know. I'm, I'm reaping the benefits. I know.
4: Listen, thanks a lot for calling us today, Robert.
3: My pleasure, mate. All, thanks the, best. A lot,
4: all the best. Morning to you, Joe And one point. Morning, Joe. Hi, hey, Stephen.
15: Stephen, I totally agree with Brendan Groot. I totally agree with him. And another question I want to ask, is it the case that if you're 60 years of age in the six counties that you get free pass and you be, when you come 67, whatever it is now, do you get an all-Ireland approach? And if it's the case, who pays for that all-Ireland approach? Is that true the Northern Ireland office as well? Did you say all Ireland? The yeah, all-Ireland? The yeah, all-Ireland pass you, kicks in when you're 65. Sixty-five, yeah. So who yeah. pays for that? I'd like to know. And I do, I do just, and I do agree with Brendan completely. We have to stand up, Stephen. Have to stand up. This is no more, no more a free society. Everything cannot be free. I have, I have <coughs> free medicals. We all have free healthcare. Since January, no, sorry, since August, I've spent two thousand pounds on private appointments. Now I'm not well off, far from it, but I have no option. But I'm trying to ease the burden. On other people. And we all know, and another point to the bus if you're going to a hospital appointment now, uh, over 60, they should bring that their their, uh, appointment letter with them and show it to the bus driver. And, and that's a free pass. You know what I'm saying? We can't have it any longer. We can't keep giving free, 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 free society. It's not on. We're going to have to get money from somewhere. And I think it's the likes of Brendan there that needs to be put in that position and more like him. And you know, make that big decision. We can't keep carrying on the way we're going on because it's not—it's not—it's not very helpful. It's not going to—it's not going to sort anything out. There's big decisions to be made, and they're going to have to be made. And that's the bottom line, really. Stand up, put our hands up, and say yes if we can afford it. We can afford it. If we can't. We can't.
4: Joe, thank you, Philip, in Belfast. Morning, Philip.
9: Stephen. So, uh, I think it should be, like, pay, uh, people who can afford it, you know, should should have to pay for it. Like, I don't know, $50,000, I think over 50000 or something like that. Uh, and then from Park, Steve, I was just wondering why it. it's costing so much for that and why it's not...
4: Well, we don't know how much it's costing.
9: Uh, well, I don't know. It sounds like a lot, anyway. You know, I've heard... 500 million going about next.
4: There's, there's nobody talking 500 million. So um, it was initially to cost, I think it was 70 odd million pounds. Right. Um, we, we know from the Auditor General's interview with Good Morning Ulster this morning, the last figures that she saw. July 2023. I think it's why what the auditor general said to Camus this morning is important. So she said that the last figure she saw pertaining to July 2023 was that it was to cost somewhere between 112 and 140 million. So is right. is has that figure changed much in the last eight months? We don't know. But okay, saw-
9: because it seems like a lot, Stephen. Anyway, but it's just a pity I had to get to that stage where it's costing so much. Right? But there you go I was just thinking maybe it could be socialising instead of because I'm not too sure if there's other communities that are going to go that far anyway out there
11: you
4: know Ivan and good morning Ivan good morning Stephen morning go ahead sir uh, my point is this that uh,
0: you get pensioners who are very well to do and they get on the bus free now, I drove to TransLink for a few years and yet and all, if you lifted a school child who lived within three-mile radius of a the school, they had to pay to get on the bus. Also, if you were around and you lifted uh, a mother, maybe she had three, four children, and they were over the age of five, she had to pay for uh, you know, herself and all the children. And I always thought that the whole system was just...
4: Completely ludicrous, you know. So what way do you think it should be?
0: Well, for a start, I think all children up to the age of 16, which is school-leaving age, should be free on the bus at all times. Now, as regards pensioners, well, I mean, how do you know who's well-to-do and who isn't? Uh, I suppose, really, you know, the age for uh, free bus passes should be raised to the sixty-seven to the pension age. You
4: know? is, is there something to be said, Ivan, for a society, for us all committing together, that no matter how tight we're all getting it in terms of a country with a, with a, a finite amount of money to spread through services, is there something about us all giving a commitment to each other that if we're lucky enough to get the pension age... That, that, that we will make life as comfortable as we can prioritize as much as we can give give free things to as many pensioners as we can in other words work hard get it you know we'll look after you when you get old well you know that's fair
0: enough, and really you know i'm a pensioner and I would love to get everything free etc, said but I think that pensioners who are well-to-do have an obligation to pay their way and assist those who are struggling at the bottom end of the wages, you know what I mean? That's my opinion.
4: Okay, Ivan, thank you. Good morning to you, David in North Belfast. Morning, David.
5: Hello, Stephen. I was talking to you one time before about this revenue rate and issues. Now, I'm entitled to a bus pass, but see, at the end of the day, I can afford to pay for buses, so I don't think I should get it free. But why not? If, if people are means-tested for, for the bus ticket and they can afford to pay for it, let them. But other things, see, like the, the hospital, everyone I know, the AMA, and even people that's with disability and cancer say they would like to pay for their prescriptions. They wouldn't mind, as long as they know the money's come back into the health service. But another way, why not have like a voluntary thing where if you go in to get a prescription you can put money towards it or if you go to the doctors you can put money in or if you go into the A&E you can put money in things like that there no, people's not being forced to pay. it's voluntary
4: I wonder how much that would bring in if it was voluntary
5: well they bring more in that's coming in now
4: would you pay? I know you're not old yeah, enough yet, but would, would
5: you pay? If I had to go to the doctors and there was a way of paying, like even if I can use my card and donate, yeah, they don't say, oh, you have to donate 20, but if I want to donate £2, three pounds or whatever, I would be more than willing to do it. And most people I know say that, as long as you know it's going to the National Health Service.
4: Well, you talk about the, the National Health Service and this speech that we were telling you that Robin Swan um, would give at 10 o'clock this morning. He has described uh, the following year, the year coming up, as a year, quote, of damage limitation. Brendan and Phil, let me get your reaction to this. Health Minister Robin Swan has warned of an extremely difficult and worsening financial position for health and social care services. He has said the next year is largely going to be about damage limitation given the scale of the budgetary pressures. So, that's that, That's not talking about improvement. Alan Stout, you're with us this morning. Alan, the, the minister here, Swan, he's not talking about improvement. He's talking about damage limitation.
8: Yeah, he, he he is. Do you know the most frustrating thing about it, Stephen, is that this is exactly what was said in Delivering Together, which was the policy document that came out following the Bengoa report, so the most recent kind of review and plan for a health service. Now that's nearly eight years ago now, and we have let eight years go. And we know are the three big ticket items that are in delivering together so it is about stabilizing that real foundation and then that allows you to to build for the future Uh, but that is so frustrating because we know we've known for seven eight years we've known for much longer than that that we've needed to really change how we deliver health but yet we're still struggling so much the absolute core foundation of it.
4: Your chair of the PMN Northern Ireland. Junior doctors are due to strike next Wednesday. And um, Here's what he says about pay. Pledging to push for the best possible funding settlement for health in 24-25... He he said Northern Ireland is facing the most challenging fiscal context in any period since the Belfast Agreement. I believe we all have a duty to be honest with the public about what we see. The risks of service breakdown are real and growing. He says so. Breakdown of service is growing. That's a big statement um, from uh, the, the the minister. He then talks about uh, pay, and 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 he says. Welcoming the decision by trade unions representing staff on the agenda for change, terms and conditions, he emphasised his limited options. The reality is that we're implementing the recommendations of independent pay review bodies or mirroring pay settlements in England is at the very limit of what we can be afforded at this juncture, he says.
8: Yeah, and, and again, that's, he, he's covering the two big areas. We know general practice, for goodness sake, my area. Uh, we know of the service collapses. We know we've heard and we've talked about multiple times of these contracts going back, and we know that there are more coming. Um, you know, so we are in such a difficult position, and and I make no apologies for re- reiterating the fact that it, it staff are so key and so fundamental uh, to to not only sustaining service, but to delivering it into the future
4: he says i don 't think it 's feasible to expect executive ministers to be able to undo uh, the, the the consequences he 's talking here about uh, long-term grievances of below-inflation pay awards over the past decade. He says the quarrel the dispute is national and if there is a solution, it will have to come at a national level, he says. And he sends a message to people like you, Alan, and your members. I say this to colleagues in positions of leadership in the health service who I hold in the highest regard. I have a track record of supporting and valuing staff. I can't fix situations created over the course of many years. You can fight me on that if you wish, but I... But I'd rather be fighting for you than fighting with you.
8: Yeah, and I mean, again, that's that's encouraging to hear. Um, it's, but it's, it's so important. You know, the, the reality is that we are losing staff. We need to, to make sure that we retain who we have here at the moment. We're not even doing that. But ultimately, we want to be attracting more staff in and we want to be the centre of excellence. That people want to come to, want to support our health service and want to deliver these services that we, we all want.
4: Alan, thanks very much indeed. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you in the morning. Thanks for today. Bye bye.
3: Listen again on BBC Sounds. Tweet at Stephen Nolan.